0: If you want to learn how to gain insights you can act on and solve business problems with data, all while building a data-driven culture at your organization, sign up for Pragmatic Institute's new course, Data Science for Business Leaders. Find out more at pragmaticinstitute.com data. Welcome to Data Chats, a podcast by Pragmatic Institute and the Data Incubator, where we tackle data topics and trends with experts, industry leaders, instructors, and alumni. I'm your host, Chris Richardson. Today, I'm sitting down with Douglas Laney, Data and Analytics Strategy Innovation Fellow at West Monroe Partners and author of Data Juice. Doug, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to picking your brain and, and getting a lot of these examples. You have you have a number to choose from. So we're obviously not going to get to all of them, but Data Juice is a great place to look for these sort of concrete applications of how to make data work for you. So maybe we can start a little bit about that. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started with this project in particular, Data Juice?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm gonna give you the whole story background, but like many, many of us, you know, started out in the Big eight, big six, big four, whatever it was at, in your own time frame, got into the world of expert systems, found my way into uh, one of the early data warehousing companies, actually ended up moving to Australia to run the, the business down, down there, and uh, and then came back and was with some software companies and, and other consulting firms, went back to Gartner, the IT research and advisory firm. And while I was there, I said, listen, I really want to start looking into this concept of data as an actual asset. And what does that mean to organizations? I realized after the actually after the 9-11 terror attacks that when companies lost their data in the Twin Towers, that data wasn't considered a a property or or an asset. Um, And therefore, the insurers didn't pay out on on, on claims related to lost data. And so that kind of got my got my attention. And and I said to Gardner, I'm like, you know, I'd really like to research this and ultimately write a book on it. And they said, you know, all right. So I published uh, my first book uh, called Infonomics, which was pr- pretty well received and uh, is you know, actually this this summer's on this summer's uh, C, uh, CIO reading list for the Wall Street Journal. And as part of that book, I included a number of stories on how organizations are using data and analytics in innovative and, and high value ways. And uh, my, I now have a library of nearly 500 stories, and people have kind of prompted me to, prodded me to, to publish them. And so I picked 100, you know, kind of my favorite stories or representative stories and, and put them in, uh, in the book. So right now I'm with West Monroe, a consultancy based out of Chicago with offices throughout North America and in London right now. And I'm what's called an innovation fellow. So I, I speak and write, kind of a brand ambassador, also a data strategist. For the, for the company. Um, and they uh, were supportive of, of me producing this next book, Data Juice, which is that, that compilation of stories. One of the things I wanted to do in the book was also include some commentary on each of the stories. And so I started writing the commentary myself and then quickly realized that uh, my, my advice was kind of homogeneous. So I conscripted 100 f- friends throughout the industry <laughs> to help you know, take a look at each story and, and provide a commentary analysis, recommendations and that kind of thing. So it's I think the stories in the book are <clears throat> are certainly inspirational, but the uh, advice from thought leaders like chief data officers and and consultants and so forth are uh, is really compelling as well.
0: Yeah, and I realize now that you have it sounds like the perfect job to sort of collect these stories. And so yeah. I wonder how do you how do you do that in a in a way that allows you to ultimately produce something like this. So how do you how do you prod people or ask people about stories and how do you start to collect them methodically?
1: You know once you start listening for things or looking for things, they they tend to appear. One of the advantages I had while I was with Gartner was vendor vendors briefing us. Mm -hmm. on their technologies and the question i'd always ask which was all right who's using it and what are the measurable business benefits that they're getting from it and i don't want to hear about you know you measured Crap faster, or you analyze stuff faster, or you integrated data faster. What are the business benefits that were accrued to the business functions in your organization? That's that's kind of what I wanted to hear. So, I started kind of collecting these stories. I maybe found them on Twitter or in in the press. Um, ultimately, I, I hired some researchers to go out and, and search for them as well to kind of build that that compendium. So, uh, yeah, they're 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 out there, but I, I do get frustrated with the vendor community you know, saying, oh, our customers are so successful with our product because it helped them yeah. analyze stuff faster. I'm like, yeah, it's not really a, a real, real business benefit. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's it. just it. Like when I was helping mm-hmm. to, to put together the insight course of Pragmatic, mm-hmm. everyone talks about data, but then when it comes to time to actually make that a concrete practice, then it becomes very difficult to get people to really you know, give you details or, or really say, like you said, what the business value is. A lot of the time it's just, we increase Mm -hmm. productivity, but then once you break that down a little bit, it becomes very unclear what productivity even means in a lot of these contexts. So I wonder if you could maybe take us through, if you have an example, great, but you know, how do you go from, we are a great product. You should, you should, you know, we're going to, whatever the terms are, we, we give you value. We, Will you know enhance your productivity? How do you go from that to to something very concrete? Like, do you have any good examples of that kind of storytelling or generating that kind of information? When you no, talk, No, I mean to there people?
1: are all, all sorts of like really good examples of how organizations are generating economic value from data, and that's really what what the focus is. You know, what mm-hmm. kind of economic value are you generating for your your customers, your clients, or your own business by by deploying data? And, and not necessarily even your own data, but any data that you can get access to, maybe alternative data, external data, partner data, syndicated data, public data, web content data that you're harvesting. And so when I've when I've looked at the variety of use cases that I've collected, and, and I can share some, but you know they they kind of fall into two categories. One is uh, indirect, uh, what I call data monetization where the business benefits are accrued to the kind of the, the, the company itself in terms of improved process performance or reduced risk or improved compliance or reduced cost or identifying new product or market opportunities or maybe digitalizing products or services. And then there are direct data monetization methods that organizations are applying where they're bartering or trading with data they're licensing their data they're selling insights or analysis or reports or they're enhancing existing products or services by baking data in, into them so the stories that i've compiled kind of you know, fall into most of those those categories there're also some kind of you really unique ways that organizations are monetizing their data but you know just by by way of uh, of example You know, Minute Maid, the orange juice brand that's owned by Coca-Cola, you know, had an issue where one of the fast food companies said, listen, the quality of your orange juice is inconsistent season by season and region by region because of, you know, we understand you're sourcing oranges from different places, different times of the year, but we need it to be consistent all the time everywhere. And so they sicked some flavorologists on an orange to determine that there are 600 flavor components to an orange juice. Who <laughs> no, knew? No wonder I love orange juice so much. And then they gathered all sorts of, of data like uh, crop yields and, and cost pressures and regional preferences and um, satellite images of, of, of crop fields. They claim a quintillion data points went into this precise dynamic formula. For how to blend orange juice consistently, you know, preserving and saving this, 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 um, and expanding this two billion dollar business of theirs. So uh, I think that's a that's a great example of you know, monetizing data.
0: Yeah, and uh, I guess are there any cases where? Yeah, at first you didn't see how they would be making money or how they would be monetizing, and it surprised you. I'm sure that's come up with some of the things that you've looked at.
1: Yeah. You know, there's, I mean, maybe there's a government example where, and I I was surprised that, well, no, let me, let me share this example. There was a company uh, based here in Chicago that was formed and they harvested, uh, it was a company called Food Genius, and they harvested restaurant menu data and pricing data and ingredients, you know, basically by scraping websites of of restaurants. And I think they had a partnership with Grubhub, I think, and... Mm -hmm. And they would sell that data and, an, and analysis to restaurateurs and boutique grocery stores and whatnot. So they could identify where there was red space or white space in the market or where a particular ingredient was, was trending. Ultimately, they ended up getting acquired by U.S. Foods, a, a major food distributor here in North America, because U.S. Foods felt that they would, if they better understood demand for ingredients, they could better sell to the restaurants. So that was kind of unanticipated, you know, from my perspective, that uh, an unanticipated need for that data.
0: Yeah. And I guess yeah. to go along with that, as you're hearing more and more stories, mm-hmm. what stands out to you that makes something an important sort of data story as opposed to, mm-hmm. I'm sure you get a lot of somewhat monotonous yeah. feeling stories that are kind of all the same. What stands out as something good, something that would get included in in a book? <laughs>
1: <laughs> really if it's got any kind of you know significant economic value that's a, uh, a again a significant multiple of the investment is something that really stands out and and a lot of the examples are really very vocational and functionally specific they're not big data blah 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 kinds of enterprise class solutions they're solving a particular problem or exploiting a particular opportunity or and they're very functionally specific i mean uh you know in in australia for example you know westpac published you know their story about how they were unable to target market any significant portion of their customers because they didn't understand them across multiple channels this was years ago and so they embarked on a uh, effort they call the know me program K N O W know me program where they created kind of the proverbial 360 degree view of the customer and were able to increase targeted promotions from 1% to 25% of the customers by doing that, added tens of millions of dollars within just the first few months of additional revenue, which was just a multiple of the amount of time and money they spent on on the initiative. So mm-hmm. yeah, those, those kind of jump out.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots to talk about, but I want to ask you about this idea that you, you mentioned a little earlier about mm-hmm. data as an asset for organizations, how does that differ from what we normally think of as assets? Like how can we how can we better yeah, envision yeah. data as an asset and are there special things that we need to consider in this case?
1: That's a great question and, and a real can of worms. So as I mentioned, after the 9-11 terror attacks, some clients started contacting us, lamenting not only the tragic loss of life, but the loss of their data. We helped them calculate the value of their data because data was not a balance sheet asset. We submitted the claim to the insurance companies, the insurance companies denied those claims. Again, suggesting that data wasn't considered property. So I was left kind of scratching my head and, and opened some accounting books and, you know, to, to relearn what an asset is. And an asset is, is something that accountants define as, uh, as something that is owned and or controlled, exchangeable for cash uh, and generates probable future economic benefits and is separable from other assets. And so data clearly meets those criteria, just like kind of the keepers of the definition of, you know, I don't agree, and in fact, after nine eleven, the insurance industry here in the states explicitly changed the policy template used to eliminate any consideration of data from property and casualty policies. And uh, not to be outdone, the accounting profession followed suit a few years later to state that that no longer, even if, even if you wanted to, you couldn't cl- you couldn't uh, include the value of data on your balance sheet. And so. The, the keepers of the definition of what constitutes data, uh, constitutes an asset and property have c- kind of doubled down on their antiquated notions that it's that it's neither. So the problem is that uh, for most organizations, they have this notion that data is, they call it an asset, they give it that lip service, but they don't really treat it like one. They don't measure it like one. They don't monetize it like one. And then to make matters worse, data has these unique characteristics that other assets don't have. Like... A lot of people say, "Well, data is the new oil, right?" And yeah. well, maybe that makes sense at a macro level because it's a definitely a driver of the economy today. You, you you can't be in business today without leveraging data some somehow, and you can't thrive without leveraging it really well. So yeah, it, it's it, you know, data has these unique characteristics that it's 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 unlike oil. It's you know, when you consume a drop of oil, it dissipates, it goes away, right? When you consume a drop of oil, you can only consume it one way at a time. Mm-hmm. When you consume a drop of oil, it doesn't create more oil. Well, data is very different. Data is what economists would call a non-rivalrous, non-depleting progenitive asset. That is, you can use it multiple ways simultaneously. You can use it over and over again. It doesn't get used up. And when you do use it, it typically creates more data wherever you're you're using it. And so, the companies that are really thriving today are the ones that are taking full advantage of those unique unique economic qualities of data.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I've been lately reading a lot about you know cybersecurity, and it sounds like mm. if you were really if you were set on not calling data an asset, mm-hmm. then it sounds like you wouldn't be able to steal it. You wouldn't be able to uh, right. to, to protect it because you know like you would assets, and yet. We all, we all know that these are, yeah. these are
1: major concerns. I mean, one of the worst things about data is because it's again, non-depleting, when you steal it, you may not even know it's stolen because <laughs> it stays yeah. where it is, right? Nobody's actually taking it and physically, you know, taking it away from you. They, they're creating yeah. a copy of it. Yeah. And so it makes uh, security even that much more more challenging. You know, I, I spoke to one of my colleagues, an expert in, in cybersecurity one time, and I said, you know, how do companies know what to invest in, you know, InfoSec or, or, or cybersecurity, you know, if they don't know the value of what they're securing. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, that's a, that's a good question. He said, they're, they're either, you know, spending what others spend, you know, on uh, looking for benchmarks, or, you know, we call keep up with the Joneses. Right. Or they're waiting for some kind of catastrophic event and then spending enough to make sure that that doesn't happen again. <laughs> so neither of those are really ideal ways to gauge an investment in something like like data security. If you knew the value of what you were securing, you would know what to spend on on how to secure it.
0: Yeah, and I, I would gather yeah. that in the, in at least the stories you've collected, you can kind of put a price on the value of mm-hmm. the data you're talking about because you can see how it was used. Sure. But at the same time, you know, one, a lot of these people like like taking menus and ingredients, for example, mm-hmm. sounds like that's it's out there, but doing the work of of collecting, cataloging, mm-hmm. organizing, that's sure. kind of where the data becomes more valuable. How do you start to think about assessing value then? With data,
1: yeah. So again, just like any other asset, we can assess its value, you know, economically or financially, by applying w- one of the three methods of, of valuation: the cost approach. Okay, what did it cost to collect or acquire or purchase or, or mm-hmm. generate that asset? We can use the market value. You know, what would the value of that asset be if we were to sell it or license it to others? And then, uh, what's the the income or its contribution to Cost savings, cost aversion, or revenue generation, uh, and that's the way that accountants value other assets. And there's, you know, we can apply those same kind of methods to data. However, you know, again, data has these unique qualities. So that when we when we sell it, we're typically not transferring ownership of it. We're transferring rights to use it. So mm-hmm. those calculations have a, a they're, they're a bit more nuanced than with other kinds of assets.
0: Yeah, and I wonder how you would advise organizations to think about whether or not they want to monetize as in sort of sell data. Yeah. versus using it for their own, you know, benefit right. or whatever they're doing within their organization. How does an organization how might they start to approach that question because I think More organizations are realizing they do have a valuable commodity and that they could perhaps sell it in some Mm -hmm. senses. So how, yeah, how do you encourage people to think about that question if they're making decisions?
1: I I kind of go back to, you know, you should be leveraging any given data asset in a variety of ways, right? Not just one way. You want to recoup the cost side, you know, Mm -hmm. that denominator is not going to change, but you can increase the the numerator exponentially. So the return on assets that you're getting from data increases the more you use it. And that, again, can take two flavors, one more internal where you're accruing kind of indirect um, monetization benefits, and one that's external where you're, you're bartering it, licensing it, you know, or creating some kind of derivative data product that you make available to, to others. And so it's really a matter of trying to maximize the ROA or ROI from, from data.
0: Yeah, what's a good example of that of a company who made the choice to to sell mm. data? I mean, I think we we think a lot yeah. about data brokers or people selling data, mm. but can you take us uh, into the sort of starting point of a company that you've seen that has decided to um, sell data?
1: Yeah, there's a there's a, a company called Do- Dollar General that yeah. was collecting its inventory and sales data and shopping basket analysis and all that for internal purposes and then their suppliers or said hey we'd love to get access to that data as well so they created data products and started selling you know anonymized versions of that data lo and behold they the result was that they they now have a self-funding data warehouse or, hmm. or data lake. And I think that should be something that is aspirational for any business. There's no reason that you shouldn't be generating revenue of some kind on your on your data assets, or at least do so in a way where you've calculated the value to the extent that you have a self funding you know data architecture.
0: Yeah, I mean that sounds really it sounds really interesting, <clears throat> I can, <throat> and I can can imagine a lot of organizations thinking, "Yeah, let's start making money on this." At the same time, though, a lot of the competition seems to be about Keeping things either private or or you know confidential no not not just for for legal personal like private data reasons, but also because you know if you have all this amazing info on orange juice, you wouldn't want to sell it to other orange juice distributors or whatever right, right? so how do you how do you make those decisions and have you seen any the, go the other way where people have stopped selling or sharing data?
1: I don't know why I've seen them where they stop selling or sharing data other than you due to like gdpr restrictions mm-hmm. or whatnot. Um, in which case they can they can de-identify data and still make it available. But yeah, I, I mean, um, I don't know, why don't we move on? Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. think of something that I can share there.
0: Yeah, if anything comes to mind, I'd be curious about, you know, people in the same decision starting mm-hmm. point, maybe as Dollar General. Was it Dollar General that you said? Yeah, Dollar General. Yeah. So that, that, but then decided, you know, it's probably not in our best interest. It would be interesting if other circumstances would make yeah. it so that, you know, you don't have the same opportunity or it just doesn't work the same way.
1: Yeah, Talk about something related. You know, one is a lot of companies will come to us and they'll say, listen, we, we can't monetize our customer data because of privacy regulations. Yeah. And my, you know, kind of flippant response to that is, well, you're not, you're not really being creative enough. So listen, you can't sell your data to others, but you can sell others products and services to your customers. Right. So you can't sell your customers' data, but you can sell other products and services to your customers. So by example, you know we're working with a, a hospital system who knows who its diabetes patients are, but it can't sell that data to anyone. But it can sell healthy meal plans and gym memberships and at-home glucose you know, test kits to hmm. individuals. And either do that as a data for good solution, you know, which a hospital is more prone to, or or make a little, you know, referral fee on it, take a commission or some kind of referral fee. So anyway, I refer to that as inverted data monetization. And you may see this in like Facebook, for example, who, you know, is no longer, you know, outright selling its data because it got caught doing that. But what they do is they they sell other products and services to you and me, right? Based on our profiles and likes and so forth. Yeah. So they're able to target us. And that's the way they monetize their customer data by not licensing it to others by referring other products and services to us.
0: Yeah. Well, and that re- reminds me of some of the other issues that have come up is that in some cases, data scientists have gotten so good at what they do that it has a negative effect on con- on consumers. Right. There's the famous example of the the girl shopping at Target who was pregnant yeah, yeah. that Target knew before her dad. You know, these. Mm-hmm. There's a, it, it seems like a lot of these things kind of pop up and there's literally practices in place in some organizations mm-hmm. where they don't use the full extent of their data science just mm-hmm. to avoid freaking people out or appearing, you know, like a nefarious organization. How should like what are some of the things that people should consider when they're going in that direction, you know? They are-
1: should consider the externalities is what what account, what what's what a way of it, yeah. them right. What are the unintended consequences and so having a red team, you know, blue team kind of approach, uh, somebody who's can can think through the ethical, not just legal, but ethical issues mm-hmm. with anything that you're doing with data. And so I, I think it's important that any organization today has a, a data or digital ethicist on staff to review any use cases for for data or technology.
0: Yeah, that's actually a great point is that, you yeah. know, you can make a case just simply on uh, economic value. Mm-hmm having a data ethicist, let alone yeah. the ethical dimension of it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a risk aversion, right?
0: Yeah. So. And what are some of the risks then? Because I wanted to ask you, you know, if more organizations are considering mm-hmm. monetizing data, opening it up to people, what are some of those risks that they need to take into account? Well,
1: the risk is, as you mentioned, you're exposing uh, aspects of your business. People may be using that data in, in unintended ways. They may be sharing it with people that you don't want them to. There's a risk that if that data is wrong or has quality issues, again, that could introduce some, some exposure, it could highlight things about your business that you didn't really want highlighted. So, yeah. I mean, I, I worked with, um, I can tell this story because they, they, they tell it publicly, Allstate Insurance. Mm-hmm. And they said, listen, the, uh, there's an automobile company that wants to purchase our claims data so that they can build better and safer cars. Well, that's a great idea. It's a win-win-win for everyone, right? But, you know, Allstate said, you know, somebody at Allstate said, listen, Were their models were the Good Hands company, so we can't be seen as selling our customer data, even if we anonymize it, aggregate it, de-identify it, blah blah blah. And I said, so this is not a technology issue, it's not a data issue, it's a brand issue. So why not take this idea off brand and create a joint venture or a separate company or something like that? And that's exactly what they did. They created a company called Arity, um, A R I T Y. Which is a, a separate company to to monetize their um, their 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 data. Hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's interesting. What I'm curious, what else you've you know you've learned in collecting these stories? Is there anything that jumps out as just tidbits that are that are valuable in and of themselves that that come to mind?
1: Yeah, one is a lot of the the real high value stories integrate data, but not just integrate internal data, but they integrate external data as well. They're looking at leading indicators, and you, you really can't do a good job of looking at leading indicators if you're only staring at your own navel. And mm. so uh, bringing in external data from you know, the kinds of sources that I mentioned. Uh, some of the other ones are are also where they, um, they've they identified kind of dark data internally, unused or unutilized data, sure. and identified really that, that they're sitting on a gold mine of, of data. Like there's another insurance company that realized they were sitting on a, a you know 10 years of adjuster reports. And those adjuster reports, certain language, um, omissions, things like that were indicators of fraud. So they trained a text mining algorithm to analyze these reports where they knew there was fraud involved to train how to identify fraud. Um, and they were able to subrogate tens of millions of dollars of previously uh, paid out fraudulent claims.
0: If your organization wants to leverage data to drive success, explore Pragmatic Institute's training offerings. We provide individuals and teams with actionable guidance, hands-on practice, and a business oriented approach so that they can solve problems and propel decision making with data find out more at pragmaticinstitute.com/data wow yeah That's a, yeah there's a lot of i think as you said training data yeah. that people might or people in an mm-hmm. organization might have but also right. that they might want to purchase i wonder if there's anything you would recommend or any examples of you know, there's that the general idea of you know when you're starting something, do you do you partner, do you buy it, or do you build mm-hmm. it? I think the same goes with data, right? Yeah, Should I mean, we buy data? Is it worth it? How do you mm-hmm. start to think about that, or what are some of the key issues at stake? And think, when um, you think what do you kind of look it?
1: for holes in your own data? So you, maybe you come up with a use case, and so we work with companies to go through an ideation process, and via that ideation process, we'll often come up with some ideas that would require some external data that they don't currently have, whether it's you know some kind of market data or climate data or geolocation data or something that they, they need to integrate. And so, you know, today there are multiple sources of all of that data out there. And just like you, you know, we're having supply chain issues around the world right now with, with raw materials. I think companies need to be aware of th- that there are alternative suppliers of, of data out there as well hmm. and, and keep those in mind. And And I think it's a, you know, most organizations have a, at least a, an individual, if not an entire department, dedicated to procuring office supplies. But nobody pro- dedicated to procuring data supplies. I think that's a tragic mistake for for companies today.
0: That's an interesting yeah. thing. What would you call that position?
1: Data curator, I guess. Um, hmm. Some people call it a data wrangler. But mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you've got a, a, a procurement team. Call it data procurement, right? Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I think, yeah, I think, I, I mean, that points to one of the mm-hmm. ways organizations are changing because we didn't have a lot of these positions, you know, 10 years ago or so, not right. not in most organizations, right? Now, as you said, virtually every organization has people that are, that their only focus is data. Mm-hmm. How is that going to evolve or how do you see that evolving based on what you've been seeing?
1: Well, I'll tell you what I think one of the other challenges is that I analyzed hundreds of MBA programs and mm-hmm. found that the, the vast majority 97 98% it was at the time uh, had classes for for data analytics okay mm-hmm. great so great mba should know how to analyze data you know beyond using just excel but very few maybe 2% had any coursework in data management so i think there i'm concerned that we're graduating an entire generation of future business leaders who know how to manage people and processes and numbers but not data and that's going to be problematic for companies as data continues to explode
0: yeah what are some of the things that you would want them to be able to do or that seems you know important that may be missing right now in terms of managing data
1: um even just to understand what kinds of data architectures are appropriate for certain kinds of analytics i think that's kind of the basic one to understand um, you know to become more more data literate understand the difference between structured and unstructured data, metadata, master data, uh, the variety of kinds of data quality issues and what's creates them and how to mitigate them. I I can go on and on, but yeah, those are, those are some of the big ones.
0: Yeah. How to integrate data, right? Yeah. Well, and to build on that, right? Have you seen, or can you think of some stories that you've come across where the person clearly was able to manage data in an effective way and it really, you know, led to beneficial outcomes for the organization? Any insights that you've seen, or people that have made decisions that you know, if you you didn't know, if you took the basic MBA, you wouldn't be able to do it.
1: Here's one that comes to mind. Uh, It's somewhat related. I was meeting with someone from Stats New Zealand, and he said, "We don't allow anyone to touch the data until they go through a safe handling program." Right. So, if we're thinking about data as an asset, we should be able to apply asset management principles and practices to it. And, and they think about data much like an asset and, and nobody gets to look, nobody gets to handle data, touch data, curate data, integrate data, do anything to data until they are trained on, you know, safe data handling practices, just like they would in, you know, materials management. Um, yeah. So I think that's a, I love that story.
0: Yeah, I get a. For me, I get this impression of like, or the visual of somebody with like white cotton gloves at an yeah. archive, right, being able to handle things. Yeah. What, what would it literally look like, though? Or what are some of the things that you would learn in, in a case like that?
1: Uh, you would get, you know, trained in, you know, how and why to make copies of data or not make copies of data, how to integrate data properly, the the limitations of filtering or sub-selecting data for certain purposes, the understanding the provenance and lineage of, of data as it moves from its source and gets integrated mm. to where where it is, understanding how to interpret uh, the metadata you know, around a, a data asset or, or create the metadata for it or, or manage the metadata. understand data governance you know, practices and policies. So yeah those are just just a few.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking now like when we when we talk about monetization, we've talked mm. about a few different ways. But mm-hmm. the general, you know, the general idea, obviously, with monetization is we made money by doing this, right? Are we there other ways? Economic to-
1: value, yeah, yeah, measurable economic value, right?
0: Well, okay, well, yeah. So you're already anticipating that. So other than making money directly right. or benefiting the company, like, what are some of the markers that you might look for that you've seen in some of these stories about that benefit? Like, what are the other benefits if we're if we're not talking about literally making money?
1: Well, a lot of them come come down to to, to money, right? Um, Mm -hmm. whether you're saving costs or introducing new products or developing new markets or baking data into a a product or service to make it that much more competitive. All of those Mm -hmm. things can be measured financially. There are things that that can't, and so we're working with a large manufacturer now that's also interested in measuring things like its impact on the environment. Mm -hmm. Does a particular data use case uh, reduce carbon emissions does it uh, create some measurable societal benefits and benefits in terms of health or safety or diversity or you know inclusion and the, so these are additional things that we're measuring and rolling into the ultimate valuation of use cases that are suggested or, or conceived
0: yeah well and that's excellent yeah that's what I, mm-hmm. that's what I mean is what else might we want to measure or might organizations want to measure I love mm-hmm. the idea of uh, yeah carbon emissions is something you would want to measure. Environmental
1: impact, societal impact are, are really the, the kind of the big two
0: yeah well, but how do you start to measure societal impact? What are some of the markers? health and safety are big
1: ones mobility, physical mobility, economic mobility. yeah, I don't work with a lot of government organizations right now. it's not not uh, kind of in our, our wheelhouse, but you know those are some, some kinds of things.
0: yeah, are there any interesting measurements that you've seen that come to mind from all of, from you know your collection of stories? What are some of the more interesting measurements
1: hmm uh, think about that. If I remember, there's a story about, and, and I wrote about this in the book about the uh, certain indigenous peoples there in Australia that sold their knowledge about how to properly, I think irrigate land that's been developed over their you know thirty, fifty thousand year history. And they sold that knowledge to, I think local government officials. And per the Kyoto protocol, we're, we're paid handsomely for it. I think to the tune of I have like a half million dollars a year or more. Hmm. So, you know, they were measuring the the impact on on the environment and we're able to quantify that economically.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and you know, think about the the type of data that's being monetized. It's a it's an oral tradition that's being monetized.
0: Yeah. And it's great well, that we have
1: protocols like the the Kyoto Protocol that allow that now.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's, I won't, I won't get too nerdy about that because I could spend all day talking about that kind of thing with my background mm-hmm. in media studies. But mm-hmm. I, I do wonder, are there things like, that's, I think why we measure money, I mean, among other reasons is because it's very clear and easy to measure, right? It's sure. dollar to it's dollar, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that people could potentially measure that you've seen maybe that don't often get measured or they, it's difficult and so people might be skipping it?
1: Well, there are derivative measures so or, or indicative measures of, of value. So a, couple, a few of the, the value metrics that I developed as part of infonomics are non-financial. They're mm-hmm. I call foundational measures, and they measure things like the, and I'm, we're speaking about data itself, so we're measuring things like its accuracy, completeness, scarcity, timeliness, integrity, ubiquity, uh, believability, granularity, you know, things like that that can be measured about data that are predictive indicators of its ultimate financial value. We can look at its business relevance, how relevant is a given data asset across a range of business processes to anticipate its utility. We can measure data's impact on non-financial KPIs, like sales cycle time or or sales size, uh, the size of a deal, to understand how it likely impacts financials. So I really like to be focused on leading indicators. There's so many trailing indicators when it comes to business. Yeah. Everybody wants to build a pie chart or a scorecard or you know a bar chart that analyzes something that happened last quarter or last week or whatever, and that that bores the crap out of me. And <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I like to encourage clients to do more diagnostic or predictive or prescriptive or use data for to automate things. That's where the real value happens not, not in, you know, looking backwards so much.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I, yeah, so I, I agree. And I don't want to speak for you. So mm-hmm. I wonder if you could say more about why that is like, why is that not the best way to look at the past necessarily? Well, I mean,
1: you can look at the past to, to, yes. to validate that your strategy was right, but yeah. you know, sands are always shifting business climates are always changing. You've got to look at what are the leading indicators of your business? Uh, and very typically, as I mentioned, those come from uh, external factors. And so um, I just find that I look through the, the hundreds of stories that I've collected, and maybe just a few of them have anything to do with somebody building a pie chart or a bar chart you know, to analyze something. It's the low-hanging fruit, it's easy to do, everybody understands how to do it in Excel and doesn't require a lot of data integration mm. um, or fancy algorithms. And that's why it's so commonplace. But, the high value examples in my library are, are all about doing something that's diagnostic, like fraud, doing something that's predictive, like uh, identifying what customers are likely to buy or prescribing something that they're likely to buy directly to them or yeah. automating something that or digitalizing something that hasn't been uh, that's been done manually. The vast majority of the stories are, are of those types, not hindsight looking pie charts.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's an excellent point, right? It's a lot easier to make descriptive or to do descriptive work, but it's not necessarily as valuable. It's almost never as valuable as the prescription.
1: So when we run these data monetization workshops, which which I can tell you a little bit about, we entirely ignore any kind of descriptive questions like what happened, right? I don't know Mm -hmm. what's going to happen. Why did something happen? How can we make something happen? Or how can we automate something?
0: Yeah. Well and that goes to one of the main issues I think people have like the difficulties is converting or using mm-hmm. what is mostly qualitative it sounds like especially earlier you were talking about you know how trustworthy is the data believability these kinds of things mm-hmm. how do you how do you start to think about that and how do you start to get that qualitative information and perhaps quantify it
1: you have to pick a metric you know or develop a metric for it it's really diff- difficult to use qualitative information really to make to make decisions or or operate anything, until you quantify it in some some way. So, you know, right now we're again we're working with this manufacturer that wants to measure things like their environmental impact or societal impact. How to weigh different value metrics for for data and use cases, and so we're coming up with, you know, not arbitrary but unique kinds of ways to to measure those things that are going to be acceptable throughout the the company.
0: Hmm. And what about yeah believability trustworthiness? Are these mm-hmm. mostly kind of survey questionnaire type yeah, information, yeah. or how do you collect
1: exactly? Okay. Exactly, I mentioned that in the book. There's there are certain qualitative indicators for for data quality that you can really only determine quantitatively via survey.
0: Hmm. And any advice for people who are maybe thinking of or or maybe you know they're listening to you right now and they're realizing mm-hmm. I need to expand, I need to take in more qualitative or think about more qualitative. Are there ways to to do that better? Or have you seen cautionary tales maybe?
1: Yeah, just a periodic survey of of people who are using data or, and and those who are producing data. I would would survey both the producers and the consumers of any given data asset about their their impressions of quality. And you actually find a lot of disparity between producers and consumers, or even folks at different levels of the the organization as to their their impressions of how clean and complete and and useful data is.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, as people are listening and obviously we've generated some great topics and there's much more they could read in the book, what are two things that they could do, listeners could do in Mm -hmm. the next 24 hours to have a significant impact? What are some, what are two things that they could change or start doing that would lead to some significant change? For their
1: organization, yeah? Yeah. I would say, take a look at any report that you get, Mm -hmm. right? And, and go back to whoever's creating it or whoever defined it and, and say, you know, this report is telling me what's happening in the past. How can we change this to help me predict or prescribe something hmm, or I diagnose something? Yeah, much more more quantitatively. I think that would be one thing to do. The other would be go to your CFO and ask them why isn't the company quantifying the value of, of our data if data is that important to us?
0: See what, see <laughs> is, there, is there a politically correct or a nice way to <laughs> say that?
1: Well, I... I like to, to ask to have this conversation. Data is a critical asset for the organization. I know that accounting practices don't compel us to measure it like one, but in order for us to manage and monetize our data effectively, you know, shouldn't we be measuring it like an asset and can we get your help in, in doing that?
0: Yeah, those, I mean, yeah. yeah. That those sound like two really valuable things that people you know, listening could do right away to have some some significant changes, perhaps, yeah. in their organization, depending on yeah. what's going on currently. You know, they
1: say you can't manage what you don't measure. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not measuring the value of data, you're not going to manage it like an asset. And if you're not managing it like an asset, you're not going to be able to monetize it like an asset. And so for many companies, this tends to be a real vicious cycle.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think more and more people are waking up to that. Thanks, you mm-hmm. know, to the work that you're doing and others that- uh, it becomes obvious. It becomes more and more obvious, or you can't ignore it for much longer. Yeah. Especially yeah. if people want to know more about you and your work, Doug, where would they look? Where should they follow? Or what should they check out?
1: Well, I post often on LinkedIn, so if, you know, check me out on LinkedIn. I also post on Twitter. I'm usually using the hashtags, you know, Infonomics or Data Juice or uh, CDO for for the Chief Data Officer. So that's a great way to kind of keep up with with me. I also have a professional website, which is. Uh, douglasblaney.com and if you're interested in more about the consulting firm that I work for West Monroe you can always check us out at westmonroe.com
0: perfect well I really appreciate you speaking to us for data chats it's been is a lot to think about and I think a lot to, to start doing perhaps for people who are listening so uh, it's really Great. valuable stuff thank you thanks for having me Chris appreciate it